Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to the show. Welcome to Tuesday. Normally, this show airs on Thursdays, as most of you know, at three thirty. But every once in a while, we've got a great guest on, and we want to accommodate their schedule. So we move things around, keep it fresh because we're flexible. That's what we do. Uh, but we are mostly on uh, Thursdays at three thirty Pacific time. Why? Because we're in Silicon Valley, and so there you go. And it's a beautiful day out here in San Jose. I hope it's gorgeous wherever you are. And we help business and marketing execs and their teams humanize what they do and tell their stories in the most human way. That's what Keeping It Human is all about. And, of course, this podcast is a jargon-free zone. So we try to keep that nonsense to a minimum. Nobody likes that stuff. So if at any time our guests use jargon, we will, like the improv game, uh, do it again. We will make them say it again differently in non-jargon terms. That's what we'll do. And we'll have a lot of fun. Well, I'm just going to jump on into the topic today because we've got a, a great guest, and I just want to get to the good stuff really quickly. So thanks so much, everybody, for listening. All right. We're going to talk about comedy and marketing today and some easy ways to lighten things up. Now, I know as a marketing storyteller and improviser and, and, and yes, somebody who's done stand-up, it's, I know how powerful that com- comedy can be. It can be in speaking, in marketing, in content marketing, anything under the marketing umbrella, anything under the communications umbrella, because we all know that humor is human. One of the things that that sort of has always um, caused me a little bit of consternation is, as somebody who does this for a living, I know we give a lot of lip service, and we talk a lot about comedy and marketing and lightening things up all the time, but there's a lot of companies out there who are really afraid to do it. They're afraid. I think they they think maybe humor is really risky, and I don't think it has to be, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. I'm sure David has a lot to say about that, but it doesn't have to be super scary. I think there's little ways of bringing levity into marketing and just, just making people not feel yucky after or, or like they need a shower after reading your marketing. <laughs> So let's, without further ado, I want to jump in and I want to uh, introduce him. He is uh, David Nihill. He's the founder of Funny Biz. He is the author of best-selling book, Do You Talk Funny?, which is a great book on using humor to be a better speaker. So if you haven't read it, please do. I know it's in its second edition, so it's Do You Talk Funny? He's an ink columnist, and he trains folks from companies like LinkedIn, Gumroad, and NASDAQ on how to add humor to the public speaking. And I I always have to say this because David is one of those people that walks the talk. He actually went out there, did stand-up, wrote about his experiences, got better, and so you're not getting advice from somebody who has studied comedians. You're getting advice from somebody who's actually done it. I think that's really credible, and that's really important. And yes, he does stand-up comedy, and he is very selfie-facing, but I'm here to tell you he's very funny, and he finished runner-up in the Moss Largest U.S. Storytelling Competition. So let's bring him on the line here. Hey, how are you? Hey, David. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the fine intro. Oh, my gosh, my pleasure. And I have to tease David a little bit because he doesn't like being on video. <laughs> David and I, I know like a comedian does not like being on video. <laughs> yeah, is there an irony? And I didn't know what I was thinking reading that book or writing the book, I should say, because now everyone's like, hey, will you come speak about it? And I'm like, eh, no, I wrote that book because I'm afraid of public speaking. <laughs> that has not changed. Uh, leave me alone. Well, 
But I love that. I think one of the things that makes that I just love about the way you wrote about it and the way you're so honest about it, and you're such a great storyteller, is you say that. I mean, you're very upfront about, look, I don't like doing this. I don't even like being on video, but I did it, and I made myself do it, and I got better, and if I can do it, you can do it too. And I think that's such a great message for people. It's not one of those highfalutin things. It's it's from a person who did it and who, who maybe has real fear, and I think that's such a great message that people can relate to. So I love that. Yeah, thanks very much. I mean, to be honest, I always saw these public speaking experts coming in in their slick suit and the shiny shoes and like every hair perfectly <laughs> manicured. And I was like, I can never be that guy. And I don't want to be that guy. Um, so yeah. I think I'd, it would be contradictory if I went down there. I'm like, oh, no, look at me now. I've gone through this amazing transition. Like, no, I still hate public speaking, but if you make me do it, you won't know that I'm afraid of <laughs> And David eschews all kinds of names. He doesn't like guru or any of that stuff. No, he's very down to earth. And, and um, I have to tease you also because um, I know sometimes you'll you'll – you self self deprecating humor a lot about your your stand up, but I think you're really funny. I mean, I've seen you host your conference in San Francisco, Funny Biz, which is a great conference. Everybody about how to lighten up your your content marketing, and you you do such a great job. And I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. I can see you emceeing at a comedy club. So no, thanks. I have done it a lot. So to be honest, before I go on stage and host a business conference, I will sneakily find somewhere to get on stage and do a little bit of comedy in the days leading up to it just to kind of iron out the kinks and, and make sure it looks a little better than it normally would be. Yeah. I, I You know, I, one of the things, too, that I, I, I love about your message is I don't think, as somebody who's done stand-up as well, in fact, I started out in stand-up and sketch before I actually did improv 10 years ago. I jumped into improv. And there is no better, I can't think of a better theater or a better live laboratory for testing material or getting immediate feedback than than a stand-up audience. I cannot think of a better sort of, it's a little pressure cooker, but I cannot think of a way to sort of test stuff. I mean, why do you love it so much? I, I don't. I hate it. It's <laughs> Um, but it, it was it. a means to an end. No, I, to be honest, I did it. I committed to doing it for a full year. So I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it through. And if I can learn some good lessons along the way, that will help other people stop being the shaking mess of public speaking. And I was then cool. But you do. I like the feedback. I do like the energy off the crowd once I'm up there. And I've got over the idea of doing it. And I think Twitter is pretty much the closest thing we have these days to get an instant feedback on a humor attempt. But Twitter obviously has the risk of being 10 times worse and going viral with Murphy's Law and when you do it. And I think nothing really goes, nothing competes with that human connection you can get from people really feeding off the energy between you talking to them and building a relationship with a really group of strangers really fast that stand-up comedy gives you. I think that's really true. And so even though sometimes I still get butterflies, I still really love it or I wouldn't force myself to do it. I, I just think that the bigger lesson is so important. And there's a lot of really great lessons in your book. And, and you know, I know you're a big fan of storytelling and you're quite the storyteller. And if there's – and I know this is sort of maybe boiling the ocean a little bit, but if there's one big lesson like that – you know, going through this whole experience and, and writing the book and everything, now it's in its second edition, that this all taught you about being a better speaker. What, what's like the big aha lesson that you, you would say? The biggest thing I think all of it, and to be honest, I don't buy the first book, wait for the deal to come out, it's way better. <laughs> Honestly, it is a good I, book. It, yeah, it's decent, and people seem to really like it. I was amazed. There's like 100 reviews on Amazon. Oh, my God, who did I pay to write these? I don't remember paying anybody. Uh, to say nice things about it, but I, the, the improved edition really conveys the message, which was my biggest learning, that get out there and tell your story. Always have a story narrative. 
and that you never know what will happen when you tell it. So for me, at the end of that year, I went and told my story somewhere, and you have no idea really who's in the audience. You have no idea who you're influencing or connecting with just by sharing a little bit of you and leaving a little bit of yourself on the stage. But on that night, it led to a friend of mine with a spinal cause injury who we were trying to get media attention to, and it it enabled him to go and give a TED Talk. The guy saw my talk, asked me, did I want to give a TED Talk? I was like, yeah, right, or TEDx Talk. I have a friend. He has a much better story. And it enabled, I, I guess, the learning I picked up from stand-up comedians, I was able to give to him to help craft a talk that got him a 51-second standing ovation when he delivered it and just came out. And the nice thing was that we really learned, and what I learned over the whole process was that to tell your story before anybody will listen to you tell the story of others. And that was the single biggest learning point. I think in any content, if you're trying to get attention mm. for any cause or any item, that people need to know who you are and make that connection to you before they listen to you talking about other people. Yeah, it's sort of the show me yours first thing, right? I mean, it, it really it really is. I mean, and I told you, um, I know when we chatted sort of at Story You recently, um, I did a solo show and talk about, you know, really being a little exposed. And I call it showing some emotional side boob, right? <laughs> because that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's leaving a little something of you on the floor. And it, but what it does do is that the reciprocity is phenomenal. People would come up to me and tell me their stories about their family and, and their, the nutty stuff in their family and the stuff that maybe wasn't quite right. And, and, and yet they felt normal and they felt it was okay. And, and, that I think can never happen unless I had been so honest and vulnerable. So I, I totally am with you on that. Yeah, and, and I think for for your listeners, a lot of them will be like, "Okay, that's great. I'm never going on stage. You two people are nuts," and that's fine. <laughs> you know, it, it is a big jump off point for doing it. But I think James Elsher is a big advocate as well of this. It's if you're putting out any form of content. Just make it so you think twice about pushing publish and three times and four times where there's a little bit of you exposed in there that you don't normally want people to see. And I think for some of the biggest bloggers in the world, that has been the secret to leave a, expose yourself a bit of themselves and allow other people to see themselves within their story, which is pretty much the most powerful thing you can do in storytelling. And we learned that the hard way quickly on stage. But I think the same lessons apply in crossover, just in case anyone's like, I am not getting on that stage. I hear you. That is great advice. Take it. Don't get on the stage. Yeah. No, and that's true. And well, and you know the thing is too is you know it's it sort of work your your it's a it's a muscle. You just work your your way up to that point. But um, you don't you maybe don't start out at a ten, but you gotta you gotta work yourself up to that point. But I mean, certainly for 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 you, you look at where you are with this second book and all you know the time you spent honing your material on a stage and where you started and and you can even see the difference so but but you have oh, to start it, somewhere it, there's no comparison yeah you do and there's a really visible progression there and improvement whether you're just crafting content for your writing like the book i put out originally when i read it now i'm nearly embarrassed because i know i've written a, a much improved version but the key thing is just getting that initial version out there and then iterating on it and i'm not allowed to say the word iterating because i think that's jargon I'll let that one slide a little bit, but but you know Thanks. that's actually a really good point, and that's a really good segue because, um, but I but I admire that because how many times do we not test something because it's not perfect, and then we hold back on it until it's perfect, and perfect is sort of it, it never happens, right? We both know that, and and it's an excuse to not get out there, and I think that's okay. Part of 
I think either with content marketing and the the, the storytelling stage or the stand-up stage is that you may have something that's still in development, but you test it, and that's how you make it better. So it's okay to release a book and then iterate on it later. Exactly. And exactly. And I think the biggest the thing that helped me the most in that was iterating things based on a narrative. So everything I did in stand-up comedy, the way or my theory that I had to shortcut the process was to find your voice faster and to connect to the audience faster, that there needs to be an underlying narrative there. And it's not a witty observation that all the content would be based on an underlying short story in a narrative that I could make relatable to the audience. And that way, when I was, they could never tell I was trying to be funny. The funny was a surprise that came within the story and the story yeah. they were naturally receiving and being receptive to. Yeah. And I think that's the key lesson with content marketing mm-hmm. as well, that you never want to have that moment where their audience goes, he's trying to be funny here or she's trying yeah. to be funny here. That moment should just sneak up on them. And then the laughter and the, you know, the appreciation for that moment is generally a lot higher, but there's no mm-hmm. downside. There isn't the fall flat in your face and bombing scenario that you face when you put out content that isn't shared sometimes or where you're standing on a stage and you don't get that instant appreciation from the audience. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a really excellent point. You know, when I started improv, um, you know, the, I, I remember being having it hammered into my head, don't try to be funny because if you just play a scene real, the humor will fall out of it. And it's so true. And I think there's improvisers have to trust themselves enough to play it real that the humor, because people are funny and we do stupid stuff, and the humor will just come out of the natural order of relationships. And so you talk like an improviser, and I love that because I think that's really true. If you just go for a great story, go for the best story, you know, um, you know, you're, you're not pro-barring the funny in there. You're going to get some laughs. Exactly. People are, people are funny. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the most powerful thing you can do in storytelling is just allow the audience to see themselves in your shoes. So you don't need to go too crazy. It can be something that seems pretty mundane, but yeah. linking that to the content that you want to produce, whether it's in any format even, and the same applies to marketing stuff. Yeah. You don't want to put stuff out there where you're visibly trying to be very funny. You're just trying to have a narrative to something that engages people. Like you're really going for fun right. over funny. I agree with you 100%, and that's always been my philosophy is, you know, fun, fun first and then funny, and that's a, and that's a great segue. Um, I, I think a lot of content marketing does try maybe a little too hard, and then yet there's still a whole lot of other conservative content that doesn't try hard enough because they don't think – they don't. They don't think humor's for them, you know. And I can think of conservative industries like the financial sector and whatnot that that just somehow still haven't gotten that message. Are we any better? I mean, you're you're a founder of the Funny Biz Conference, and it's such a great conference. Um, do you do you feel like we've we're making progress in B two B? Because it seems to me it's the same companies over and over. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I've been lucky. So we, I work, we have a writer platform as well, as you know, where I get to work with a lot of companies. And we see all of a sudden these publicly traded companies who are coming and like, well, we'd like to test it. It's not really our voice. It's not what we're known to. But I think with platforms these days like Optimizely and Lead Pages to just allow you to put out a bit of content and track the metrics of it. And maybe it's not your mm. traditional voice, but there's somebody within the company who really believes in telling that story. And I've, I've been seeing more of a willingness to experiment and maybe not going for hilarity, but just certainly unlightening it up because they all have the one big problem. Their big problem is not being funny. Their big problem is not making people laugh. The big problem they all face is engagement. Uh, and if you go to senior management with that and say, look, our engagement on this is ridiculously low, like it's 5%, it's 6%, our opening rate is under 1%, our share rate is is very, very low, 
I think we can spike this a bit by making it more fun and making it more engaging, depending on where you put it out. And I've seen companies all of a sudden, you know, we saw Dice, uh, you were speaking mm-hmm. at the same conference as them with Funny Biz, who are, you know, a company in tech recruiting. There is nothing funny about what these guys are doing, but they found <laughs> it. There's nothing. But I mean, as we drive through Silicon Valley, there is pictures of coders in their underpants. Like, hey, hire your Python coder, and there's a guy in his underpants with a Python hanging around his neck, pointing their way yeah. to Dice. And uh, and the humor from that originally did not even come the idea or the creative spark from the marketing team. It was from a designer within the company. It's just like, hey, this is a good idea. I believe in it. I'm going to try and convince people to, to enact it. And I think with companies like that, Zendesk, Optimizely, I mean, you have a few that normally you'd be like, you know, that's that's not really a realm of humor. Uber Conference was one that had a lot of success. I mean, there's nothing funny about video conferencing unless you're watching people trying to organize a video conference. <laughs> that's true. No, that's true. And and that's such. I completely agree. I mean, my experience is 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 you know nobody ever comes to me and says, "Hey, my improv's broken." Nah, they got a business challenge. But improv can be one way of of helping with that. So I love that you say, "Yeah, it's an engagement issue." And if you think about it really as the business challenge that it is, the question isn't, you know, is, is humor the right thing or not? You got to do something. Something has to be different. So why not use something that that is that lightens things up a, a bit? Yeah, and if you go in, and I'll tell you this from selling it around the business, I you can't sell humor to people. You can sell engagement. Humor is a nice-to-have and not a need-to-have, unless it. that's really the strategy. But the engagement is an absolute we must have. And everybody's hurting on engagement levels, and everybody's trying yeah. to compete and advertise in places where people are going for entertainment, like Facebook. And if you advertise where people go for entertainment, you have no choice but to be the entertainment. And it's those kind of companies that are really all of a sudden willing to experiment and test things just to just to hit that one key metric, which is not laughs per minute. It is always engagement. Exactly. Totally. So if you're in a comedy club, laughs per minute, LPMs is what we talk about. That's what Dave is referring to. But yeah, it's different. When we in business, it really is the is the is the engagement issue. I'm I'm curious with the companies that you're working with. Do you see what do you see as a consistent thread or a common thread throughout the business culture that you go, ah, that's why they're open to experimenting. That's why, is there something in their culture that you go, yeah, that's the kind of company that really embraces this kind of experimentation? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think the one real common thread is that there's always a champion in a company that always saw themselves in some level of performance or they see themselves as a creative or they want to create something and they just truly believe that this stuff does not need to be boring. And they don't want to be part of putting out boring stuff. And they're they're charged with writing a technical paper for a company. And I mean, there's a lot of guys at our conference from uh, Salesforce in the technical writing aspect. And their writers are hard, their creators are hard, and they're having to put together these really heavy technical manuals. And part of them is just thinking, it doesn't need to be this way. Like, I can lighten this up and I can put my personality into the work that I'm doing. And I think the common thread of all these companies is that there's people within them that are like, you know, it just doesn't have to be boring. Like, I want my work to be a little bit more fun and I want to be proud of it and I want to be able to share it with people. And and humor and making engagement is a part of that. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. What are some of the best examples you've seen in in sort of the B2B space where, where it might be more conservative or maybe in the financial sector, or someplace you you might not expect it. What what has surprised you in a really good way? Yeah, I, you know, Zendesk really surprised me because I wouldn't have expected much entertainment value there, to be honest, even though they're a great company. <laughs> uh, right. And people, 
But I met the guy behind it, and he wrote a book, very comedic orientated in nature, and he has a background in comedy himself, and he rose through the ranks, became their creative director. And one of the biggest search terms that was going up against Zendesk on keywords was Zendesk Alternative. So it was people that were searching for an alternative application of keyboard and did not want to use their product. So Zendesk knew this, so they created a fictional rock band called Zendesk Alternative. And when you typed that in, when you were looking for another uh, company to go with, you found this rock band. Who were, all the members of the rock band were actually employees from Zendesk. And they really ran with this. And it, it became a really, really popular story that they had to tell. It was a bit of a, a quirky tale. And it was something they were talking about on the road at conferences. And it got them a lot of media activity for it. And if you had told me Zendesk are going to be funny, Optimizely were very similar actually as well, putting out content with an experimental rapper uh, talking, about, talking about data testing. And it worked because they were in a space where nobody was really doing a lot. There was anything different. And, and these guys were able to prove it. They tested it using their own systems and metrics to say, hey, look, we put this copy on this particular page. We drove some traffic to it. And guess what? It outperformed the other page. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and you can't get better than that when you can actually measure it at that level. And you can actually see that it made a huge difference in the engagement. And the engagement's the precursor to people signing up or, or at least, you know, going to the reg page or something that you can hang your hat on. Yeah, and then just putting it anywhere out of the ordinary. So, like, even on the back of my new book, I really wanted the publishers to put, they're like, you know, the back of a book, it's always, like, important people say nice, nice things about my book. So I had two people <laughs> on there, but the third one I had on there was my mother. And it's like, oh, this book is great. I haven't read it yet, but uh, David drew a picture of a penguin drinking beer once in a restaurant and the potential for creativity was there. And all of a sudden you have that little moment in something that's traditionally yeah. always the same. And I think it's the same with B2B. You're just you're so used to receiving the same kind of structured information, content, or, or messaging that anybody who plays around with a bit and puts a little bit of their personality in there often can get some big results. Yeah, no, no, absolutely no question. What are the things that you you see? Because I know you 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 work with these companies. What are the things that that you see um, that the people who are open to are embracing? I'm, I'm. What are they? You know, I know they're trying all kinds of things, not just videos. It seems they're also trying things uh, like you know autoresponders, and when people leave, um, people unsubscribe. So they're trying like all kinds of things. It seems to me there's no, you know, we're so used to thinking of content marketing in one way, but there's all these little touches that we forget about that can be really kind of lightened up, and we forget those. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're doing them. And, uh, you know, I met, he's really cool. You might have heard of his case, Derek Sivers, uh, which was the founder of CD Baby going back years. I met him at a conference in Portland, but he was a huge advocate of really personalizing early messages. He was one of the pioneers of the first music you could buy digitally online. Um, and he subsequently sold the company and gave all the money to charity. But he was a huge fan of putting his personality all over those small touches, like you were saying. So a little autoresponder that's a little bit more quirky than normal, like not the hour, you know, they would go out of their way to do mm -hmm. fun and funky things. Um, and it, it just companies just seem to be more willing to do that and replicate it and embrace it. And the more success stories they're out there for doing that. Like with Funny Biz Conference, when we started that, like that conference made no sense. We're like, hey, we're having a conference <laughs> on humor and, and stuff. We're not sure what it's going to be about. Uh, something about marketing, maybe uh, who's going to turn up. And we had yeah. no email list, and we had no marketing budget, so we just started using humor in the email. And these were, you know, emails of people, cold emails. And at one stage, we had a 42% opening rate for what was effectively spam. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which would not, not that we'd spam people, that'd be horrible, and we'd never t- partake in such activities. But we were sending right. them out there, uh, you know, <laughs> to people we didn't know. And they were yeah. responding and buying tickets and being like, oh, I don't know what this is, but I think it's awesome. Let's go. Uh, yeah. And then thankfully, when they did, we delivered on it. But it was the little quirky little bits from the unsubscribe to the what am I doing on this list to the copy within those emails that really helped us get a high rate out of something that normally certainly would not. Yeah, I do remember being on the receiving end of those emails, and they always made me laugh. They always made me laugh because they caught me off guard, and I, you know, and if I was drinking something, I'd do my coffee spit take or whatever. And I just, they just made me laugh, and I thought, I thought that you, you have to because that's walking the talk. And and I love that you were willing to, <laughs> I love that you were willing to just go on faith and go out on a limb and put together a conference, and you didn't really know how it was going to shape up, and that's okay because you know you're telling your tribe to be experimental, to go out there and experiment with humor. And I think you yourselves had to do that. It kind of had to be that way, you know. Yeah, I think so. And we we had to do it. Like, it, it's the same as my book having the word funny in big letters on the cover. Like, if you're not going to make people laugh, you're in a bit of trouble. Like, okay, I bought the book because it said funny on the front. I didn't laugh. I hate you now. Um, so I think you you definitely have to practice what you preach a bit. What it it ruins me because I'm dyslexic and it takes me so long to write emails as you might know it. Like a lot of time I sign off the retails like best regards Davdi, and they're like who is this Indian guy? And I'm like oh sorry spell my name backwards sometimes. Um, and it, it's, I I have to put so much effort into communicating with all this comedic talent because everything they send me is hilarious and I'm like oh no I have to try and write something again it's gonna take me ages. Um, so there, yeah. there is a pressure to deliver on it. But you would the emails you go were pretty funny. We used to always send people like, why haven't you responded to me? Are you being chased by a hippo? And then we'd send them a picture of a guy with a hippo chasing after him. And then we're like, oh, sorry, it wasn't a hippo. It must have been an ostrich. And then they'd get a photo like a week later of them being chased by an ostrich somewhere. Uh, and, you know, they would respond sooner or later. We'd normally go about two animals deep maximum before we get some response out of somebody. Yeah, but that's pretty good. I mean, because a forty, I mean, and and in you know, forty two percent open rate. I mean, that's just unheard of. Like you know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> there's only one. For other spam. Yeah. That was the funniest thing. And at one stage, we we picked the most hundred most influential people and started sending them gifts, like a, an email. We have no idea who you are. Cold email. We got your address somewhere online. We found it. Send them a message asking them a question. And then after that, we automated the response, and we only send them funny gifts. And with a little tagline or no words at all. And, I mean, the response rate was insane. I think every single person I've ever done that to that I had no connection with responded to me apart from one person. Uh, if if you're listening, that one person is James Altucher. I like him a lot, and he's the only person who ever never wrote back, no matter how many funny gift videos we sent to him. And that's um, odd because he's a funny dude. He's just maybe really Yeah, he's, fun, he's funny. But, actually, I read his book, and he said that he doesn't check email. He has a personal assessment that checks it, so oh, maybe she's not. Well, there he didn't you like go. the humor. Well, there you go. But it's funny how effective it is. It, 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 it's the same thing as content marketing. You just put humor or you put something enlightening or put something a little lighthearted somewhere where people don't expect it. And your email is just like a big box of sadness a lot of the time. You're like, oh, happiness. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm hoping that the bar goes up. I mean, that's how low the bar is. But, you know, if we could really change the LinkedIn messaging you know, if if those notifications could be better, like that's where I think we really have a chance to shine. I think about, you know, all the LinkedIn messages all of us get every day, and I think, gosh, you know, it would really make me happy. And I've written about this. I have written message. I have written on LinkedIn about here's what how I would like to be approached, and yet very few people ever read it. And I'm like, if they read before they send it to me, they'd know that, like, 
hey, send me something funny because you have a much better shot of me getting back. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's not just you. That is universal. If there's something entertaining in there that just spikes your attention for a minute, like I used to write to people and be like, why haven't I heard from you? I'm assuming you're dead. So I've organized a small funeral in your honor and I'm commencing inviting all the people you're connected with today. If this is not the case, let me know or it could be embarrassing for me. Thank you. Uh, and they will reply to that every time because they're like, oh, wow, I don't want this weirdo to have a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Is he serious? I'm scared. He has my email address. Well, I actually one time, I, I couldn't get a response from somebody, and so I finally wrote back, and I said, um, dear so-and-so, um, this is your your um, consciousness speaking. This is this is the voice of God. I don't know why you haven't responded to Kathy. She's she's funny. She's smart. She's there to help you. I really think you, and I got it. I got it. A, um, a response like within a half an hour of sending it, and I thought, you know, if I had yeah, done this it probably earlier, said, it "Don't email me again." Hey, you, first <laughs> preaching about Jesus, don't write to me again. Exactly, exactly. You have to come back. You have to come back because there's so much more, and a half an hour goes just way too quickly, David. It does. Well, that's what happens when we get talking about all this lunacy. But you know, I think the ultimate message is there that just embrace your quirky self and have some fun and let that shine true and work. And we're in a work environment all of a sudden where people are respecting that and embracing it and encouraging it a lot more. And I think that can go true to any content that you create. And we're both friends with Jason Miller from LinkedIn. I mean, he's a great example of someone who stamps his personality all over his content. And I think it's there for us to do that. And if humor is your method, do it and have fun with it. Absolutely, and he's a great example because you know he's the you know the rock and roll photographer, um, content marketer, and there's no doubt about it. He owns that space, and I think we should all be so lucky to be able to, and we can. We can actually go out there and take our passions and, and put that stamp all over everything we do. So embrace your inner weirdo. Is, is those are my words, but um, you know I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna put my weirdo. Uh, that's exactly what me. I was saying. <laughs> But I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word weirdo, because I think being weird, we're all weird, is a great, wonderful gift. So, um, And his book, Do You Talk Funny? Great yeah, book. Don't buy it. It's no good. Yeah. The, the next version is good. Get the <laughs> second, on get March the, 8th. Yes, get the, the new version. Get the new version. Um, but either way, it is an incredible, credible walk of, of how David did this and you know went and did stand-up comedy and improved his speaking skills. And I think it will speak to people who really want to embrace it, and they just don't want it from somebody who they think they can't, uh, you know, a level they can't attain. This is a credible well, that, walk through that. Thanks, That's exactly what we were trying to do. Is like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a public speaking trainer. Like I give talks occasionally when people are like, please, we need you. But that was the idea of it. You can get a lot of tips for free if you go to the number 7 comedyhabits.com um, but yeah most of the info is there and hopefully it helps folks perfect and and David what's the best uh, Twitter handle is it at funnybizsf is that the is it people yeah want to- I, I'm obviously real good with Twitter to come up with such a catchy name that's related to <laughs> the worst Twitter handle ever I don't know what I'm doing I don't I should just stay away from Twitter but yeah I'm on there and I will respond if you hit me yes at funnybizsf uh, is his Twitter handle and David? Is there a um, is there a URL you want to send people to? Uh, if you're in, in the content marketing side, most of the good articles are on FunnyBiz uh, with two Z's dot uh, co, and then if the public speaking side, uh, SevenComedyHabits.com. Awesome, thank you. Will you come, and come back? check out our conference if you're around? Yeah, it's nice. It's quirky, as you know. It's fun, and it, it's very rare where you go to a conference and you're like, "This is awesome." All these speakers were amazing. It's a, it's a very rare day, so uh, we we love to keep it that way. 
It is, and I have to say, as somebody who's been several times, it is my tribe. Like, it's one of those tribes where you feel like, you know, you do not have to explain. You don't have to rationalize why humor. It's like it's it's an it's understood. You're just there, and I think it's just I feel like I'm at home. It, it you know with people who value it as much as I do. So it is a really wonderful conference. So I I can echo that. Cool. Well, come back, Thank you. please. You bet. I will, and thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Bye. All right, everybody. Um, we will have him back. Half an hour goes by too, too quickly. All right, you can reach me. I am at, at Kathy Cloats Guest. That is my clever Twitter handle, no hyphen. And, of course, uh, David is at Funny Biz. S-F and biz with two Zs. All right, everybody, you know what I'm going to say. I'm keeping it human. I want you to keep it human out there, too, and I think that adding a little levity to your speaking and to your, your content is a great way to do that. So we will see you next time, everybody.